lot going on this morning. <laughs> From one hat to another here. If you're turning your uh, Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Greg's been doing a good job preaching through Peter. And last week, what he touched on in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, um, was about this is who you used to be, and this is how you ought to live now. This is how you used to be living just like the pagans. Now they've come to Christ, they've put away their old ways. Pagans think it's strange that you no longer live in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, idolatry. Um, but as many preachers have pointed out in the past, uh, and continue to point out today, you can get rid of all the terrible things you used to do, but if you don't fill it with all the things that God would have for you to do, those things kind of creep back in. Now you just kind of have a lot of free time, a lot of extra money that you used to spend on alcohol and drugs or women or whatever. But what is that for now? So I've been saved from the wrath of God. I've been saved from the sins I used to do. But now what? As I live in this body of Christ. And also, all these people now that have come to Christ who used to be my friends are persecuting me. And this has happened before. I've seen it happen with other people where you used to do a certain thing. Now you no longer do that with your friends. And now they are on your case. Like, hey, why don't you go out with us anymore? Why don't you do what you used to do? They might feel like their conscience is pricked because you've changed. They don't want you to stay there. Like their goal is to kind of bring you back. And when I used to work at a rehab in New Hampshire, like one of the big things was cutting off all your old friends. Because they just want you to be down there with them, just dragging you back. Um, but the goal isn't just like shun those people. The goal then is how should I live now? And this is kind of what 1 Peter 4, 7 starts with. The end of all things is near is what it's saying. Christ is going to return. And in light of that, how then ought we live Peter's been doing a great job saying to the people, your suffering is normal. Christ suffered, and you'll suffer. Your suffering of giving up those things, maybe losing family, maybe losing friends, that is normal. That is the thing that happens to believers. It happened to Christ. And he did nothing wrong. And that's good for you to know as well. Oftentimes we think, well, so-and-so won't talk to me. I must have done something wrong. You might not have. My wife is the first one to think like she did something wrong, unless she's talking to me, obviously. <laughs> but in every other case, she's like, it must be me. I'm the opposite. I'm like, obviously somebody else uh, is the problem because I could never have done anything wrong, right? Um, and she is excellent uh, with just really caring about how other people feel almost to the nth degree. Like, just making sure that she doesn't offend anybody. And I'm like, well, I could never offend anybody because I'm so good. And it's a problem. And she keeps me very well balanced. And I appreciate the marriage in that way. But the end of all things is near then. How should we live then? What should we do? It's not uncommon to hear throughout the New Testament, it's either a warning or an encouragement that Christ is going to return. 
To those who are being saved, it's an encouragement. Christ is coming soon. This is what Peter's saying. Your suffering will come to an end. You will be free of this thing. As Paul would say, it's a momentary and light affliction, right? The New Testament and the Old Testament is very consistent. This too shall pass. And so that's the encouragement to Christians. You're here today not to get berated, not to get shut down, but to be encouraged. To be encouraged for tomorrow and the week after and the week after in your life. That's what you're here for. To be renewed, to be taught, um, to learn, to love one another, to give mercy and forgiveness to one another. This should be a place where we all know we've all sinned. We all know we need forgiveness. And we're all here to learn how to go out together again and serve. So those being saved, it's an encouragement. For those being saved who are not yet saved... It's a call to repentance. Christ is coming. You will be judged. Repent and believe the gospel. And to those who are not being saved, watch out. Christ is returning. He is coming. You should be worried. When I'm out with my wife sometimes, my kids will call or text me. And there's normally only two reasons why they will call and text and say, when are you coming home? One reason is they're doing pretty well, but the house is a disaster because the other kids won't listen and we'd like you to get home soon. They're happy for me to get home to show me all the good things that they've done and how terrible their brothers and sisters have been while they were away. Or they're wondering when I'll get home because they want to know if they have enough time to finish all the things that I've asked them to do to fix the broken thing that they have or whatever it is. So they need like, could you give me like a number so that I know how much more time I have to watch a movie, do the dishes, clean everything up and fix the broken thing and also try and get uh, a bribe into my brother so he doesn't tell mom what I've been doing uh, the entire evening, right? And it's the same with us as well. When will Christ return? We don't get to know. How then ought we to live? He's given us the list of things to do. He's given us a way that we ought to live. And he's coming back. So you can live in fear of that. Or you can walk in light of that. His return is an encouragement. He will be back. These people who are just ganging up on me. This life that is hard. It will end soon. Father is returning. Right? And it's an encouragement. You can tell the difference. You can feel the difference in your whole body because if, if you've ever been a kid, and you've ever been a kid, then you know the feeling is different. When you're doing what is right and your father is coming home, it's like the best thing. And when you've been doing what is wrong and your father is coming home, it is a scary thing. Even though he loves you, it's still like, ooh, it's scary. So therefore... The end of all things is near, and therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Christ is coming, so be clear-minded and self-controlled. Someone who is clear-minded and self-controlled sees things the way that they are. So they're not seeing uh, through beer goggles. They're not seeing through like the new age movement. They're not seeing through an evolutionary model of everybody does what's right in their own eyes, strongest survive. They're seeing through the lens of scripture. This is the way things actually are. We're not jumping to conclusions except for those that we know that are true. So the Christian in being clear-minded knows the scripture, is studying the scripture, is seeing everything through the lens of scripture. 
So that as they wait for Christ's return, they're navigating things clearly. And they're self-controlled. They're controlled by the Spirit. They don't need a million rules. They don't need a long list of things. They're self-controlled. I've been telling my kids a lot recently, especially as they get older and they're like, Dad, why do I have this rule and that rule and this rule and that rule? Look, because you're not self-controlled. Until you become self-controlled, I will control you because I want to protect you. But as you learn to be self-controlled, you can do literally whatever you want. I want my kids to be able to go to bed whenever is best for them to go to bed. So I want my kids to mature. They know, okay, I got a big day tomorrow. I should go to bed at eight. I got to get up early tomorrow. I shouldn't stay up too late. I got nothing to do tomorrow and I want to stay up a little later to finish this project that I have, whatever it is, because I know their mindset is clear. They're self-controlled and they're learning how to navigate their own life. And then I would love that. My job would be so easy, right? Christ would have us to be self-controlled, clear thinking, knowing the scripture, that I don't have to be controlled by the elders. I don't have to be controlled by these things. But these guidelines are here so that you can soon be self-controlled. It is second nature to know what is best for your body, what is best for your spiritual life, what is best for your relationships, your friendships, your money. It just becomes natural to you. And God has created you to live in a certain way, and he's given you that certain way in Scripture, and then if you live that way, it's best for you. So it's not a book of rules. It's a, it's a book of maintenance for your life. It's a book of salvation for your soul. It's a book of peace and rest. It's a book of this is the way God has made you to live. And it will go best for you if you live this way. That's what it is. He wants you to be clear-minded, self-controlled, not just for no reason, but also so that you can pray, it says. Be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. Um, Oftentimes for yourself, or you might see it in others as well, the less you pray is oftentimes coincides with either your anxiety or your lack of um, assurance or the sin that you are deeply involved in. You're not seeing things clearly right? You're not self-controlled, and so these sins are building up, and the ability to pray is just kind of getting attacked. Or you're not praying for the right things, right? Scripture says that you ask, but you don't get because you pray for things that you can spend on yourself. Like you just want stuff from God for yourself instead of how can I get these things to give to others? How can I be of service to others? Um, and that is what God would have for you when you pray. So maybe you don't pray because you don't know how. You're like, well, it's weird. Well, um, does Jesus pray? Yes, he does. You can read what he prayed and how he prayed in scripture. You can read how he tells you you ought to pray in scripture. You can see exactly how Jesus prayed, how the disciples prayed in scripture. And you also ought to pray. Scripture says that this is the will of God, right? That you would pray continually. Continually is what scripture says. So in light of Christ's return, Christ's coming, be clear-minded, and the way to do that is to be in God's word, self-controlled, be in God's word and do what it says so that you can pray. You don't have the strength in yourself to do all the things. You must pray and ask God to give you wisdom. And he loves to give wisdom, right? Pray and ask God to give you what it is that you need 
for your good and for the benefit of others as well. Verse 8, above all, above all these things, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Christ is coming, so love deeply and forgive. The end of all things is near, so love deeply and forgive. The two greatest commandments, when Jesus was asked what they were, he said, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is not one command of God that is easy to do within ourselves. It requires Christ in us. It requires the Holy Spirit in us to love as Christ does. It's amazing how God loves. I don't know like half of the sins that my kids or my wife or anybody around me does. I have no idea half of them. I might not even know three quarters of them. And so I love my wife blind to the rest of the sins that she may have committed against me or anybody else or my children against me or anybody else. And so I love them. Um, But still I get ticked off by the few that I see. And so that's so like bothers me because I think I'm better than that, right? That's like the start of most of our fights. I am better than you. I can't believe you would do that. I would never. Those are like great ways to start an argument and a fight. They're the best. Um, But what God does, which is amazing, is he loves deeply. And what I mean by that is he sees every single one down to the smallest degree and loves you. He doesn't go off the handle. He knows what to expect. And he loves you deeply. And this deeply here is, I love you like to the point of stretching earnestly, to the point of like almost breaking is what this means, to love deeply that way. So it's not like an easy love, like, yeah, I'll get you a glass of water. It's like, yeah, I'll be married to you while you're paralyzed for the next 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. I'll love you while you're an alcoholic. I'll love you while you're, whatever that list is, it's deeply, it's to the stretching, it's to the growing of you. That's what it is. So God who knows you intimately in the the most detail does that for you, then I can love the one who I barely know, honestly. I can love that one. Because Christ knows everything about me and yet he still died for me. While I was still sinning, Christ died for me and so therefore I can love you. Your love cannot come from how beautiful the other person is, how perfect the other person is, because quickly that love will just be devoured by the other person. You cannot love somebody because you expect that if you love them enough, they'll change. Zero guarantee of that. Your love must be driven by the sacrificial love of Christ for you, even though he knows you intimately. And he still loves you. That is unconditional, agape love. And we have a love that comes from that, that we're to offer. We are to love deeply while we wait for God to come. And as we fail, we seek forgiveness. See, this love that loves deeply also covers a multitude of sins. So what does that mean, covers a multitude of sins? It can mean a number of things. It can mean that we bear the burden of so-and-so's sins. So I love you. I know you lied to me. I'm going to overlook that one. I'm going to overlook a million of them. Right? I get on my kids about a lot of things, but I also overlook a lot of things because it's not worth it, because I love them. Because their sin against me is nothing. I've sinned against God far worse. So great love, deep love, 
covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't forgive once in a day, twice in a day. It forgives how many times in a day? 70 times seven you ought to forgive in a day. Basically, it just means all day long. If they come back to you and say, do you forgive me? Absolutely. Do my kids need to ask for forgiveness every time they sin against me? They should. Do they? No. Do I forgive them anyways? Absolutely. And you don't need to wait for somebody to ask you for forgiveness to offer forgiveness. Not meaning you go up to them and say, hey, I forgive you. And they're like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what I did. But you, without anybody's acknowledgement, say, I forgive. I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to be bitter about that for the next 12 years about that thing they did. They probably don't even know that they did. I'm going to forgive you. Why? Because Christ has forgiven me. I'm going to forgive my enemies. I'm going to forgive my neighbor. I'm going to forgive my wife. I'm going to forgive my kids. I'm going to forgive. Why? Because Christ forgave me. If your forgiveness hinges on them, you will just run out of it real fast. But if your forgiveness hinges on Christ, who forgives you daily, then you should not run out. You should not run out. Love deeply. That love covers a multitude of sins. And then it says that we should offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Christ is coming shortly. Be hospitable. Now, in this section here with Peter, Peter's talking about a lot of the persecution. So there are people being kicked out of their cities and towns as they come to Christ, losing their family, being kicked out of their homes, whatever it is. And he's saying to you, when they come to you, let them in. Be hospitable. As food gets a little tight, money gets a little tight, let's not grumble about it. There's no reason to. Like, what a waste of time to grumble about it. Instead, find solutions. Find opportunities. Speak to other people in the church who can provide for people's needs, like we talked about in Romans 12 there. Uh, Grumbling is a really big waste of time, right? But it's so easy to do. And for us, hospitality oftentimes is just having somebody over to your house, for a meal, inviting somebody in and saying, hey, come and be a part of my family. Come see the laundry that we haven't folded. Uh, Come see my children who I don't have fully under control. Uh, Come see my floors that are a little dirty. And it's funny, right? The more you get to know somebody, the more you get to see their mess. (laughs) The first time you invite them over, you got some preparation time and everything is in order. It's nice. I mean, your house has never been so clean. In fact, I encourage you to do that every so often just to get that thing cleaned up, right? But then like second, third, or fourth, they start saying this like, hey, you don't need to clean up for me, you know? And you're like, thank goodness. This makes this relationship work a lot better, you know? (laughs) Now that we can just uh, let the socks stay on the banister uh, when you walk through the door. That's why I put my socks sometimes right on the banister because I don't want to walk upstairs, but like I'll get them at some point when I go upstairs. But you get into that friendship, that amount of hospitality that says, I'm going to make you a part of my family. I'm not going to dress it up. I'm not going to be fake. This is who we are. I'm going to make you feel at home here, right? I'm going to make you feel comfortable here. And if you stay too late, I'm not going to grumble about it, Right? And if you eat all the food and I only get one slice of pizza, that's all right. You know, that's okay. Um, Whatever it is that you might grumble about when you have somebody over that you didn't expect, like you expected just like a nice calm evening, but the couple fought the whole time, whatever it is, we're not going to grumble about it. That's not what Christ would have us to do until he returns. 
We don't grumble. We don't complain about all these things. Instead, we're hospitable. When the people leave the door, we don't shut in and go, holy smokes, huh? We got some stories to tell some people now, don't we? No, you don't grumble and complain about it. You don't make a whole thing. You say, hey, praise God we got to do what he asked us to do before he returns. Praise God we got to be hospitable like Christ is hospitable to you. I was asking the kids today, I said, how many planets are hospitable? And they're like, this one, this is it. This is the only hospitable planet so far that we know of in the entire universe where if you take off your helmet, you don't immediately die. Here you are. God put you here. And this is where he gives you air and sunlight and trees and fruit and food. Everything that you need to eat is here. Friends, family, the creativity to build, the creativity to cook, the creativity to order things in nature, to take an apple tree that's like growing nothing and is nasty and make it just flourish, right? He's made this place hospitable. And so we are to be like God and be hospitable to help people to flourish when they come to our house, to be an encouragement when they're there, to have them feel at rest when they're there as much as we can, to be able to let their guard down Be hospitable. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It can be a very hard thing to do. All these things are very hard to do without Christ. Seems like even if you're good at doing them, let's say a non-Christian can have somebody over. All these people can have somebody over. All these people can run through the motions of these things. But after a while, you're just self-righteous and arrogant person. If there is no God that's driving your hands, you become self-righteous. There's no other option but to become self-righteous. The Christian says, every breath I take is from the Lord. All the strength that I have is from the Lord and I offer it to you because he gave it to me. And then that can keep on going because he doesn't run out. All the rest is exhausting. You're just waiting for the other person to make you happy. I love this passage in Hebrews chapter 13, which you've heard before, but it's great with hospitality, right? Hebrews 13, chapters, uh, verses 1 and 2 says this, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. Entertain means have them into your home. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. I love that. I picked up a lot of homeless people, honestly, because of that verse. A lot of hitchhikers on the street. Because I'm like, well, maybe one of those is an angel. Who knows? I may never get to know. But that was like a real motivation for me when I was young and didn't have six kids and a wife to take care of. I was like, you never know. It could be an angel. We don't know. What do they look like? I'm not sure. But for you as well. So a lot of times we think hospitality. Who do I want to have over? I want to have over the person who's not a lot of work, the person who's going to leave when I want to go to bed, the person who's going to bring stuff when they come, the person who's going to help me clean up, the person who's not going to complain the whole time that they're there about some other thing in their life. I would love to have over the perfect person, and that person I will be hospitable to on the weekly. That's not what God wants for you to do while he's here. Sure, have them over, but have over the stranger as well. The person you've never had over. Enjoy them. Get to know them. Don't grumble about them when they leave. It's okay. That's what he wants you to do until he returns. And you might be entertaining an angel. You never know. 
Verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So here's the thing for you today. Christ is coming. Use your gifts. Love people deeply. Forgive like a whole multitude of sins. Be hospitable to people. Use your gifts. Again, going through that bulletin is great in a small church because you can see, oh man, there's so many people serving. And then the people who aren't on the list, I already know other people are serving. People who are teaching Sunday school classes and prayer meetings and doing all these things behind the scenes, running the projector, whatever it is. There's a whole list of people doing all sorts of things in this church body, both on a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night, or just playing throughout the week. I see ladies walking together, encouraging each other all the time, men helping each other out at the different homes. Um, it's just beautiful to see the church work together in that way. But each one of you has a gift. You should know that. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's funny, some of the gifts are like merciful. You ever too old to be merciful? No. Generosity, you ever too old to be generous? No. There are so many things that do not require youth. In fact, a lot of us uh, have gained a lot of knowledge that you're keeping to yourselves as you get older. The older women are supposed to teach the younger women, the older men, the younger men, to be self-controlled, and so on. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace. What that is, is an opportunity for you with your gift to be the hands of God, the mouth of God for others. That's literally what he's saying, is that you are taking the grace of God and handing it out to people. That is what you're doing. Where we get confused is we think, I'm going to hand out the grace of Joshua Menser. I'm going to hand out a little bit of grace of Jim Zarpentine. I'm going to hand out the grace of whatever it is. Whoever it is, we start to get like, Man, I'm just going to hand out my grace. What you have the opportunity to do is hand out the grace of God to other people. So what is your gift? Some of you have gifts that are just what you're good at by nature. And then some of you have gifts that you are good at supernaturally. So there are gifts given to people supernaturally. It changed. You used to always be afraid of this. You used to never be good at that. And then you became a Christian and something changed. God gave me a gift that is different. I used to be the most frugal, tight-wadded kind of guy in the whole entire world. I kept all my stuff to myself. I came to Christ, and now I can't like keep the money in my bank. It just keeps going out. I'm not saying me personally, but in general. That can happen because you see it different. This is not my money. This is God's money. I used to be the harshest, most revengeful person in the world, and then I came to Christ. Now I'm, mercy. Now I'm merciful. In fact, my gift is the gift of mercy. Right? That might be you. I used to be terrified to ever stand up in front of anybody and do anything. And now God has given you the gift to lead. The gift to speak or prophesy or say the words of God. So we're going to read through real quick just that Romans 12 passage, but just verses 3 through 8 where we can see this. And I love this passage because this passage basically says um, you need to see yourself rightly. Don't think that you have all these gifts when you don't. Ask somebody else. When you think you found a gift, then ask somebody, hey, is that my gift? And they might be like, that is definitely not your gift. Um, so read through this passage and, and see what it says. So here's what it says. Take an honest look at yourself. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. That means with like right judgment, judging rightly, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the other members. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of you, to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's service, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Y'all should fit in there somewhere, for sure. And if not there, there's other places in Scripture as well that has a list of gifts. And these things have no age limit to them either, whether young or old. When you come to Christ, uh, we are all parts of the body. <clears throat> what does that mean as well? That means we all have a body. Some parts, they show off. Right? Our face is always shown. Hands always working on something. But there are other parts you don't get to see. What's my liver doing right now? I don't know. I don't get to see it. I don't see it work very much. But I know when it goes wrong. Right? Um, Cheryl does so many things in this church, I have no idea what half of them are. But if she was to stop doing all those things in this church, uh, you wouldn't have multicolored bulletins today. <laughs> you wouldn't know as much sign language as you do right now. Right? And there's a lot of things. And there's a lot of people like that right now in our church. Uh, I have never weed whacked a ditch outside, not once. But Bill McDonald has a lot. <laughs> right? When the lawnmower broke down, um, the Grubers were out here mowing that lawn all the time with their lawnmower from their own house. They had to trailer that thing. Like, I'm exhausted just thinking about it right now. Come out, mow the lawn, take it all back, clean it up, put it away. It's a lot. Right? Just spending time visiting with somebody who has nothing to offer you is a lot. And some of you do that on the daily, on the weekly. Praise God for that. That is part of the body that we need desperately I can't think of one part of my body that I would like to get rid of. Not one. Hopefully none of you do either. Same in the church. I cannot think of one part of this body in this church that I would like to get rid of. In fact, I would like it to grow and be better and flourish. That's what I would like. And that's what Christ would like. So use your gifts. Do not hide them. Do not waste them. Know what they are. If you're generous, be more generous. If you serve, serve. If you teach, teach. Figure out what it is. Use it. Merciful? Be merciful. Right? This is what God has called us to do. Christ is coming. Use your gifts. Peter also says, he says this, each one should use whatever gift he has received. Everybody. Nobody gets out of this. Each and every single one of you should be thinking, what is my gift? And using it. Not just staying at home by yourself every day doing nothing. Thinking about yourself, looking at yourself, doing yourself. Other people, that is what your gifts are for. Your gifts are for other people. Faithfully administering God's grace. You have God's grace. Administer it. Hand it out. Be excited to hand it out. If anyone speaks, verse 11, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. We're going to stop there for a second. Christ is coming, so you should be speaking the words of God. That means that whenever you give advice, that advice comes from Scripture. 
Whenever you're having conversations, you should be peppered with the truth. Uh, whenever you're thinking of what to buy um, or someone is, and you give them a word of encouragement, here's how I believe you should spend your money, spend your time. Spend, you're saying to them, hey, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, God says that you should be able to provide for yourself and not depend on anybody else. God says that you should redeem the time. Um, this is how we ought to live. When we speak, we should speak as one speaking the very words of God. Here they are. If you want to do that and you want to obey that, you've got to know that and then share that and be, not, be embarrassed by it. I asked the kids today in Sunday school class because I always run through my sermons with them. I said to them, how many of you are embarrassed to say two plus two equals four? Well, nobody's embarrassed to say two plus two equals four. How many of you are embarrassed to say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Like all of a sudden that hits different, right? It's like, well, maybe I'm a little embarrassed to do that. Um, all these things are true, like two plus two equals four. More true. Two plus two only equals four because of God. It's amazing who he is. So when we speak, we should speak as though speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. Since Christ is returning, we should serve with the strength that God provides. In the same way that we speak, we speak the words God has provided. We serve, we serve with the body that God has provided, with the strength and energy that God has provided, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Your service is so that God can be praised. Your words so that God can be praised. Your gifts so that God can be praised. Your love so that God can be praised. Your forgiveness so that God can be praised. All these things so that God can be praised. We discussed as well in Sunday school, like God can seem like a very arrogant thing. But he literally is the best thing. It's not arrogance. In fact, it's the most humble truth. It's like obvious. It would be like if the wealthiest man in the world would not admit that he was the wealthiest man in the world. There's no reason to do that. He is the wealthiest man. It just is the way it is. He's not being arrogant. He's not being proud. It just is the way that it is. Whatever that reality is, if you are the best wrestler you're number one in the world. That's not proud to say that I am number one in the world. You just are. God is the greatest thing. There's nothing better. So everything should bring glory to him, both naturally and intentionally by you, because he deserves it. It's not an arrogant thing of God to say. It just is the way that it is. He is the best thing. Everything you have comes from him. Everything you have goes to him. So that's how we ought to be. So that in all things, whether you serve, whether you speak, whatever it is, that God may be praised through Jesus Christ. He deserves it. To him and him alone be glory and power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. I think it's funny, right? We often praise somebody for their achievements and then that achievement is beaten just like that. Right, Usain Bolt was just beating some record he made in running. And the wealthiest man changing all the time. And the most generous person changing all the time. Whatever it is, it's like you get there and then it's gone. Ripped away by the next person who's better, stronger, faster, more attractive. Whatever it is. Uh, but I love how this ends. To him be the glory and the power forever. 
And then ever, and then ever, and no one will ever beat it. No one will ever surpass it. The amount of grace can't beat it. The amount of love can't beat it. Forgiveness can't beat it. Sacrifice can't beat it. The amount of wrath he bore can't beat it. The amount of joy he gives can't beat it. The amount of creativity cannot beat it. The size of the universe he created can't beat it. Like There's nothing, there's nothing that you can beat in God. He is the greatest. And he gets all the glory and all the power forever and ever and ever and ever. And until then, everything that you have is for him until he returns. This is how he would have for you to live. Love one another. Be hospitable. Use your gifts. Don't keep them for yourself. Hand out grace to people that God has given to you. Continue to do these things to the glory of God, who alone deserves all the praise and all the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for this chance to know you have not hidden these things, how we ought to live and to be able to encourage one another in these things and love one another in these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna be taking communion at this time. So if the deacons would come up, we'll prepare communion. You can turn in your hymnals to page 192. 192, I think we also have it on the screen. It's a great song to go with this passage of Scripture that one day He's coming, O glorious day. I'm just going to read the chorus here. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming, O glorious day. What we're doing this morning around the table is we are remembering the Lord's death until he comes, is what we're doing right now. We're remembering that this is a sacrifice necessary to forgive sinners, We are remembering that this is a reminder of the Passover lamb is Christ. That is what we were projecting from the Old Testament all the way through the New, all until the day he returns and all into eternity. That Christ's body had to be broken, that his blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And that is what we are remembering today until he returns. So let's pass the bread together and partake together.
So Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the same way, he took the cup, and we're going to do that. God was never satisfied with the blood of goats and of bulls and of all the other things that they had to sacrifice, but he was satisfied by the blood shed by Jesus Christ, and that is what we remember together. Let's drink together. We're just going to sing the last verse of 192. So, Dave, if you could put that on the screen, that's verse 5. <coughs> start with the chorus and then go on to the last verse. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day my beloved one's bringing. Glorious Savior, this Jesus is mine. Living he loved me, dying he saved me. 
Buried he carried my sins far away. Blessing he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for uh, your word once again that guides us into this next week and into eternity. Help us to use our gifts, help us to use our talents, help us to love one another deeply and in a way that stretches us and that we would cover a multitude of sins. Help us, Lord, to gain our strength from you and our ability to serve. Help us to get the words to say from you and from your scripture and help us to offer those to both those in Christ and those who need Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.